All right, thank you, Pastor Ruth. Welcome. Welcome to Bethany North. Welcome to all of this is your first time or this is your church home. It is good and pleasant when brothers and sisters come in together in unity. Amen? Amen. For it is here, unified as the gathered people of God, where God bestows a blessing upon his children. Yes? And if we, his children, ask our good father for a gift, Jesus says that the father is faithful to give us his spirit, to pour out his spirit upon us. Brothers and sisters, I welcome you today to this, the gathering of God's people, unified together by our common devotion for the one and only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and embracing the blessing of God that has been sent to us, the Holy Spirit. So whoever you are, No matter your history, your hurts and failures, qualms with the church or its leadership, if you are here today, then your story has intimately intersected with that of Christ's story, who never neglected the gathering of God's people when he was here on earth. And Christ does not neglect meeting with his people even now as he is in heaven. So if you have gathered here today, then Christ has gathered with you. Christ has gathered with us. So on behalf of the Savior of the world who is with us today, I say to you, welcome. Welcome to this, the gathering of God's people. My name is Raul Perez, and I am the senior associate pastor here at Bethany North, and I have the privilege of opening up a four-part series we are getting into here uh, in September It is our values series we preach every September here at Bethany Community Church. The values are gather, grow, go, and generosity. And it's very fitting that the first part of our series is about gather. It is what we're doing here today. It is what that has been done for over 2,000 years. When we gather... We are being called to remember who we are. The call to remember in Scripture is not simply a heady exercise of recalling details from the past. No, to remember in the faith is intimately tied to identity formation. We are remembering so we may know who we are, whose we are, and who we ought to be. So, be nourished today by the Spirit of God. Be also open to correction and conviction from the Spirit of God. But most of all, be willing to be Christ's. For when we remember Christ's story, we realize it is our story too. And what was Christ's story? Ephesians 5.2 says this, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, so you also walk in the same love. Our scripture today says, 
God uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of God everywhere. Church, we are gathered here today. Church, we are gathered here today to remember how to become imitators of Christ. That pleasing aroma of God which we spread over all people so all may come to know the saving knowledge that Jesus is Lord. Amen? But there is a problem. In our time, the church gathering is a primary reason many have chosen to walk away from the faith. Seattle-based band Nirvana and lead singer Kurt Cobain spoke the sentiment of a generation when he sang, Sunday morning is every day for all I care, and I'm not scared. Light my candles in a daze, because I found God. Like it or not, the coming generation that should be inheriting the church has grown up in a culture which tears down anything authoritative with furiosity, even religiously, so that being a part of the church is no longer a given. Unfortunately, the smell, the aroma this generation gets from the church is inauthenticity. They say, the church doesn't walk their talk, so how does it offer anything more than I can find myself? And we know this generation has choices, right? That's why Sunday morning is not like any other, or is like any other day. That's why candles get lit to whatever gods they may find. For the gathered church has shown itself to be incongruent with what it says it believes. Perhaps you too have felt this tension, the gap between belief and obedience or the lack thereof. Have you felt the authority and the relevancy of the church slipping away because of this? For some, this smells like death. Perhaps, hopefully, there is life in this moment too. I think it is both. Perhaps it is less a problem to be solved and more of an opportunity to be accepted. Our scripture today is rooted in 2 Corinthians which to me is this manifesto to, our, to the church here on earth, which has the audacity to take on the mission of Christ. The section we read today is a portion of that manifesto, which preaches that the gathered church is to spread the aroma of God throughout the city streets, everywhere they go, always. Perhaps another way to say that is that everywhere they, or we, go, we are being the aroma of God, no matter if we are intending to or not. C.S. Lewis says, this is called the weight of glory, and it is the weight of the glory of God upon us, that we either draw people closer to God because of our aroma, or we repel them from God, Because of our aroma. Scripture says the life and death of Christ was a pleasing aroma to God, and we should walk in the same love as he did. 1 Peter 2.5 says this way, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our self-sacrifice is the aroma pleasing to God which builds a spiritual house. The spiritual house being all those who come to confess Jesus as Lord. The house is built on people. And all those we attract with our aroma are the ones that are building this spiritual house. So the question is, what is our aroma? I'd like to offer three ways we can practically be God's aroma in the world as the gathered church. And I'd like to use some news articles, some current events, to help root these practical suggestions in the now. Because we are not the gathered church 2,000 years ago. We are the gathered church today. So the first. The first is that we can be the aroma of death. Recently, the Business Roundtable, a gathering of 188 CEOs representing America's most powerful companies, overturned the famed statement of economist Milton Friedman, who once said, there is one and only one social responsibility of business, to engage in activities designed to increase its profits. The suggestion being that CEOs worked for stockholders and no one else. But in a bold move, 181 of the 188 members of the Business Roundtable issued a statement in its place stating the purpose of the company is to look beyond profits of shareholders when making decisions and take all stakeholders into account. All stakeholders being customers, employees, suppliers, and communities. Whether or not the CEOs follow through with their preemptive nod to social responsibility, says William Falk, editor of The Week magazine, capitalism is clearly headed for a reckoning. The reason this updated statement is so newsworthy is because it is a rarity in our cutthroat capitalistic society to have groups sacrifice self-interest and profits to benefit all stakeholders. It is newsworthy because sacrifice is novel. And it's hard, and it takes much courage to die to self, to die to the old ways. And in truth, that dying is a pleasing aroma to many. Self-sacrifice has the aroma of death with it, which counterintuitively is attractive. As we embrace our Christian heritage of dying to self, the gathered church becomes an attractive aroma to those who are perishing. Our scripture says today, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. Alongside this, the words of Christ should also be read. Anyone who wants to save his life must lose it. And anyone who loses her life 
people find it. As Christians, we are the aroma of Christ to everyone, those being saved and those perishing. To the perishing, we are surely the aroma of death. With the aroma of death being alongside the aroma of life in the text, we are tempted to see death as simply negative. But here's the thing. The overarching narrative and truth of the Christian way is that in order to come to everlasting life, we must die. Anyone who wants to save his life must lose it. Anyone who loses her life will find it. We must die to Christ if we are to enter the everlasting life. Not everyone who is perishing, though, knows it because they refuse to accept Jesus as Lord. But, and and this is the significant point, there will be a moment when the Spirit convicts those who are perishing and they are going to be looking for a good way to die to themselves and live. We want to invite people to die a good death unto Christ, which leads to true life. But how? How will they know they should come and speak with us to learn how to die that good death? It's because we openly share our death stories. We must openly share our hurts, failures, and sufferings with people. For our hurts, failures, and sufferings are the hurts, failings, and sufferings of others. Yet, yet we have died to Christ. When we show people how the deaths we carry have been transformed by the death of Christ, then the aroma of death takes on a whole new and attractive scent. Death is now the gateway to true life. The story of Christ is is one where he takes what should be the end and transforms it into being the gateway to kingdom of God realities. Where suffering, sin, and death should be the end, they are now the gateway to grace, compassion, and everlasting life. When we gather, we remember We are not created for a woe-is-me kind of life. We are created for a praise-be-to-God life in which sin and death can mean life for others. So if you are here today feeling like your past, your sins disqualify you from being here, let me tell you this. The offenses people have committed against you or you against others do not define you. Jesus Christ defines who you are. The deaths you carry around in you have been transformed into the death of Christ, which becomes life for others. I promise you, if you vulnerably share your deaths with others, you will be the pleasing aroma of God to a cynical and hurting world just looking for something real. You will show yourself to be authentic. A second practical way you can be the aroma of God is to be the aroma of life 
we are all familiar with the line from the Emma Lazarus poem, which is inscribed at the base of the Statue of Liberty, which says, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. A welcoming message on behalf of a nation of immigrants. But recently, the acting director of the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services announced a new rule, barring green cards to legal immigrants who get any public assistance, even Medicaid, and offered a proposed rewrite of this line of Lazarus's poem. He said, Give us your tired and poor who can stand on their own two feet. Quite a departure from the spirit of Lazarus's poem, but strangely a very honest perspective of the history of America. Nevertheless, Esther Shore of the New York Times writes, Lazarus argues through her poem that aiding the poor and oppressed of all lands was the mission of America. What happens when America is failing her mission? What happens when America is failing to aid the poor and oppressed, but rather become the oppressor? What happens when the state is no longer the aroma of life for those desperately seeking help? What happens is, people run to the church looking for answers and asylum. Why? Because the church is the aroma of life and the conscience of society. It is the last vestige of sanity and compassion who is able to call our shepherds to account. Which, if you remember Pastor Ruth's sermon from Ezekiel 34, shepherds are not just priests. It's all who lead us socially. The church is to be the one who demonstrates to our shepherds what it looks like to be the aroma of life. We must remember The church is not the state. They are different entities, different callings. As the gathered church, we are to be salt. What does salt do? It preserves life. We are to be light. What does light do? It brings life. We are to be aroma. What does aroma do? It brings life joy. If you want to be the salt, the light, the aroma of life to a displaced world, if you want to show yourself to be a Christian to this generation, be kind to the stranger. Immigrant or not, be hospitable. Your love and kindness will be as life to them, and maybe life to you as well. Practically speaking, I challenge you to be openly kind and curious about one stranger that you come in contact with before 2019 is out. Sacrifice your time. Talk to them. Get to know them. Offer to give them something they need. Receive a gift from them in return. Be open. The story of Christ is one where Jesus treated outsiders with more honor and compassion 
than insiders felt they deserved. The honoring of the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, where the disciples returning are very angry with her. The healing of the Canaanite woman's daughter in Matthew 15. The deliverance of the Gerasene demoniac in Mark 5. All not Jews, all controversial for Jesus to interact with, all strangers who were given honor and compassion. When we gather, we are remembering that we are the aroma of life to the world. The gospel compels us to welcome strangers and be hospitable to immigrants. Now, I am not asking you to change your party politics or change your stance on immigration policy. We are not the state. What I am asking you to do is to remember who you are and whose story you are tied to and act in line with that narrative. I'm asking you to be authentically what the church confesses to be. Be the aroma of life. A third practical way we can be God's aroma in the world is to be the aroma of Christ himself. That is, being a presence of truth, hope, and freedom. Last month, On the 400th anniversary of American slavery, the New York Times launched an effort called the 1619 Project, a sprawling effort to offer Americans a full story of slavery unlike anything we learned in school. One of its primary premises is actually like what Dr. Daniel Hill, author of White Awake, shared with us at Bethany when he came and spoke back in January. The premise is that the United States only is what it is because of its unconscionable use of slavery. Slavery and the establishment of the narrative of racial difference are what made this nation rich and powerful. The narrative of racial difference, as defined by Dr. Daniel Hill, is the false thought that those who are darker are made less than human And those who are lighter are made more than human. In his book, The Half Has Never Been Told, Edward E. Baptist says this, Slavery's expansion shaped every crucial aspect of the economy and politics of the new nation. The idea that the commodification and suffering and forced labor of African Americans is what made the United States powerful and rich is not an idea that people necessarily are happy to hear, yet it is the truth. And the truth is, that legacy endures even today. White families have nearly ten times the net worth of black families, says Tracy Chan, in a Washington Post article from 2017. She continues, in 2016... White families had a median net worth of $171,000 compared with $17,000 for black families and $20,000 for Latino families. 
you can see the narrative of racial difference still at work. The lighter you are, the more you are worth. The darker you are, the less you are worth. Though slavery has been abolished, the narrative of racial difference endures in our politics, economics, housing, job market, and just the day-to-day. The narrative of racial difference is a system that actually dehumanizes both blacks and whites in different ways. So it is a system we are against, not any one people. But, nevertheless, the system is set up to benefit lights over darks. Our unwillingness to face our nation's history and our own prejudices perpetuates the systemic belief that some deserve more power and more freedom than others. In Luke 4, Jesus, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, prepares to teach at synagogue. But first he reads Isaiah. Unbeknownst to everyone, he is reading his own mission statement. And this is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, people of God, the radical work of Jesus was that he would deliver truth, hope, and freedom to those who had been told and had believed themselves that they were worthless. Told they were considered even worthless by God. But Jesus stands in front of all the insiders and says his mission is to be the Lord and Savior of all who are considered worthless. Do you know what the response was in this scene? They tried to kill Jesus. Before this scene, the people were amazed with Jesus at his gracious words and authoritative teachings. They loved him. They welcomed him. Yet, when Jesus took all his clout, all his status, all his authority, and proclaimed that freedom and salvation would be for the imprisoned, oppressed, and worthless outsiders, he was made an outsider himself. Jesus did all this full of the power of the Holy Spirit, who we read in 2 Corinthians 3, that the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is freedom. And if we want to be the aroma of Christ, then let's be full of the Holy Spirit baptized in the Spirit, so we too may embody the same truth, hope, and freedom that Jesus did and have the commiserate courage to act on it. I believe there is much we can do to overcome the false narrative of racial difference in our country. I believe a step any one of us can take is to challenge people in our circles of influence when they make statements based on the false ideas of racial difference. 
Blacks and browns make less money than whites because they're lazy. Challenge it. Our bodies and brains are just made different. Challenge it. Blacks and browns are just inherently more violent. Challenge it. The narrative of racial difference is a racist, evil system that, like a lion stalking around, has been devouring whites, blacks, and all people in America for 400 years. Let's together begin to dismantle it and take its power over us away by simply noticing, speaking up, and being who we are, people with a greater power available to us, the Holy Spirit. We are the gathered church, the body of Christ, a holy priesthood. We have a grave and beautiful calling to be the aroma of God. Be the aroma of death by vulnerably sharing your hurts, failures, and sufferings with others. That will invite them to die a good death unto Christ and unto true life. Be the aroma of life by being kind to a stranger, hospitable to an immigrant this year. Be salt. Be light. Be who you are called to be, a Christian. Be the aroma of Christ by allowing the spirit of freedom to so fill you that you have the courage to give up your clout, your status, your standing socially to speak truth about who God created us all to be as his children. By doing so, you may just become an outsider like Christ. But remember, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Christ's story compels our story. Let's write a spirit-enlivened chapter this year together as the gathered church. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who you sent to live, to die, to resurrect for us so that we may join him in his life and in this world. Lord, take this, take this word that has been offered. If any of it is of me, I pray that it falls away. I pray that it is given no weight. But Lord God, I pray that if those have been convicted by your spirit, let them be convicted. And those have, who have been comforted, let them be comforted. But Lord God, embrace us all, pull us all close to you, Lord God, so that we may know your word and have the courage to do it, us your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I invite you to stand so that we may praise in song our Lord and Savior, for he is worthy to be praised, is he not? He is. Let us praise.